Hello, everybody. Welcome back to One on One, New York's longest-running sports call-in show. I'm Chris Persianen with Kayla Wenzel, joined today by a special, special guest, Mark Healy. He is the editor-in-chief at the Rockaway Wave and Gotham Baseball. He is the author of Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team, and he is a coach. He is a he is an esteemed coach of a little league team. Uh, Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, my Little League days are over, but uh, I do have some very fond memories of coaching in Little League. <laughs> I, I had to throw it in there after reading online that, that just one of your articles about coaching. I, there's something about that, the perspective that that gives you um, as someone who's coached a lot of first and second graders in basketball um i just always always a tip of the cap to my fellow uh younger league coaches for their patience that i assume was employed no i it i'm i actually i'm still coaching my son although uh he is going to be 20 in uh, september uh they have a basketball summer league team that i'm coaching right now so i i, I, ah. I, coached, I coached a lot of these kids back in the day so uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I'm having a, I'm having a blast doing it. Well, that's great to hear. We are, even if I'm in New Jersey, we are in in our hearts. We're in we're in, we're all in New York City, um, the home of the Yankees and the Mets, who both teams right now, um, the recipients of some some more positive press than they've been getting earlier this year, and that's that's you know it's their own doing. Um, I wanted to start with the Yanks. We are, of course, Fordham University, despite my Mets fandom uh, and my love for Francisco Lindor. I, I got to start with the Yankees, 30 streets south of us uh, up at Rose Hill. Um, they, they fell to the Red Sox, uh, but the, something, something about that doesn't matter to me. The last couple of weeks have felt different for this team. Would you, would you agree that this team is shaping up um, – its heart is is being constructed, or do do you see a soulless payroll? Look, I you know as someone who is not a Yankee fan, even though I am a Mets fan, I've covered both teams forever, you know. And in my book, I, I talk about why uh, I don't hate the Yankees. I'm not one of those guys that hate the Yankees. The Yankees have always been good to me personally, uh, and as a historian, I absolutely love the tradition and the history of the Yankees. So I can look at the Yankees as a journalist and cover them the way that I would any baseball team. Um, and I've covered them all. So, you know, to me, the Yankees are just another team, but because they're in New York, because I have this love for my city, my, 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 you know, the place that made me, uh, and I've lived other places. So that's why I love New York so much. I think the Yankees are in, they're, all, they're, they're a victim of their own success, right, in, in past years. I think that, you know, I look to getting rid of Joe Girardi and putting in Aaron Boone as a minus, okay? I know the team has performed better uh, or at least has won a lot of games under Aaron Boone. Uh, this year, that's not the case, but, you know, they're, they're still struggling along, Uh I don't think it's Aaron Boone, though. I don't think Aaron Boone is the problem. I think the players respect Boone. I think that the players respect uh, Mike Blake, the pitching coach. I, I think they respect Hensley Mullins. I think the problem is, is that 
like any veteran-laden team, right, that has a foundation of guys that have been there, have done that. Aaron Judge hasn't played this many games in, in a year and a half. Uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of getting these guys in a sink. And young guys aren't – when you have a young team made up of young guys that have all this personality, which you're really not allowed to do when you're a Yankee. Let's be honest. You're not. You have to be very serious. You have to be very professional. And that appeals to me uh, as an old man who has watched baseball for a long time. It does appeal to me. But it also doesn't allow for some of the joviality that goes on, let's say, across town in Flushing. Right. So there's a seriousness to what they're doing. Um, I watched the game last night um, after being, you know, as I was being devastated by the Islanders. Um, you know, I saw a team down 3-0 come back and right away come back. Maybe, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, the Yankees lose that game 7 nothing. It's still a loss, right. and it's still a loss in the AL East. I think the Yankees are just in a situation where they're trying to find their way. And very luckily, the teams ahead of them, neither of them are a powerhouse either. So, you know, when you have a situation where the Yankees are trying to get their bullpen squared away, they had another injury last night with uh, Zach Gritton, which is brutal. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have to try to fix things without having kind of the payroll flexibility that they've had in the past. Because I think Hal Steinbrenner is like, all right, you know, Cash, you, you got to do this without spending $30 million more dollars. Like, you got to figure it out. So I, I think it's, I mean, it's still June. I mean, it's the end of June, but it's still June. You know, I think that if you're a Yankee fan or if you cover the Yankees, uh, it's, they're not soulless. They're just serious. I mean, the 1996 uh, Yankees weren't uh, exactly uh, the 86 Mets. That was a very serious team that right. you know, was boring, some people would say. But um, at the end of the day, you don't get extra credit for, you know, uh, creating a fake hitting instructor. You know, you don't get any extra credit for that. Maybe it makes the younger aspect of your fan base uh, you know, a little bit more excited about your team. But the Yankees are the Yankees. I think I picked them to win the AL East. I still think they're going to win the AL East. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, last year was a 60-game season, and it was a weird season. We're still coming out of the pandemic. I think that if you don't think that plays a role into what's going on, you know, you're just not paying attention. Right, right. No Donnie Stevenson love, Mark. You don't think the Yanks could benefit from bringing in a Donnie? I, I, it is the dumbest thing. It is the worst. It just, I love Pete Alonzo. I do, but it's awful. I hate it. You mentioned the team in Queens, and you mentioned how you're really more of a Mets fan. How have you been feeling about their season? I mean, they're in first place right now. They did split to the Phillies last night, but... Are you feeling optimistic about this team? Do you feel like they maybe have a chance to really go all the way? You know, that's a great question, Kayla. Um, optimistic is not a word I ever use for any team <laughs> that I root for, okay? And so just to give you a little context, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, okay? That is my football team. So if, if oh. I was optimistic or confident ever in my life, 
that ripped my soul out. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, uh, it is a great question because, you know, you would think that with the team being in first place, that I would be optimistic. I did pick the Mets to win the NL East as well because I felt that it was going to be a, a five-team race and it would be a war of attrition. And the team that had the least amount of injuries, the least amount of obstacles put in its path would be the team that wins. Um, I see the Nationals coming on. I see that the Phillies are always going to be good. There's always going to be wars between the Mets and the Phillies. Uh, the Marlins, I'm surprised by. If, if there's a surprise in that division this season, it's the Marlins. I'm surprised that with their pitching staff, with their um, position players, and with the way they go about their business, especially last year, that they've struggled this much. I don't think we've heard the last of them. I don't think we're, they're going to go away. So optimistic is not the word I would use. Um, I feel that I feel grateful that they've managed to stay in first place despite all the injuries, despite, you know, not being able to really build the bridge uh, to Edwin Diaz. Um, you know, I think that there's been some hits and misses, you know, Seth Lugo, getting him back in the mix, losing Familia when he had just started to be reliable. Don't know what's going to happen with Dellen Betances. Trevor May is a kid that's struggling a little bit and trying to find his way. Looks like he's he's back on the good foot a little bit. Um, but again, you know, it's just uh, optimistic is not the word I would use. It, it's more like we're lucky at this point that we're still in first place. And I say <laughs> we because that's just how I feel. You know, people will say, oh, that's not very unprofessional. It's just how I feel. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be like those guys that work for the Boston Globe that cover the Boston Red Sox that have box seats to Fenway but say they don't root. Yeah. Okay. Okay. guys. So uh, I'm grateful they're still in first. I don't think it's a birthright. I think they're going to have to fight tooth and nail for the season to stay there. I mean, you know, I mentioned I was a, a Met fan. I, I can't disagree. You know, the, the aura around the team has been nice, has been encouraging something uh, to lean on, but on-field results also matter a lot. Of course, um, absolutely, absolutely. I, I have to ask, you know, with both parks um, being back, I just, I, I need a one-word answer if you, if you want to keep it um, non-offensive to either fan base. Which park has roars the loudest? Which park since the return has, has been the, the better stay, the better home? of the weird, beautiful sport that we love? Um, I, I mean, look, if it, it depends on what you want, you know? I mean, I think that <sighs> Yankee Stadium, the loudest I ever heard a stadium in my life was when Joe Girardi hit the triple in 96 against the Braves in game six. I mean, that is the loudest I've ever heard Yankee st a stadium. That's a moment. I was also in the stadium. I was also in the stadium for the 2009 World Series. And when they won that World Series that night, um, I, I, I'm still blown away by the crowd. Uh, Shea Stadium, uh, at its best, was a match for Yankee Stadium. City Field is not quite there yet. It just doesn't, for whatever reason. I think this year, thanks to the seven line, and, and you know, in, in this year and past years, they've raised the bar of what happens at City Field. But it's still, the, it's still not Shea. Shea was still, you know, it might have been a dump, but it was our dump. 
And that place, the, the literally shook, the rafters would shake, you know, when, you know, when Mike Piazza would hit a home run or Gary Carter would hit a home run, or, you know, I go back all the way to Lee Mazzilli hitting a home run um, or something amazing happening, happening on the field, pardon the pun. Uh, City Field's not there yet, man. It's just not. I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be Met fans that watch this. They're going to say Healy doesn't know what he's talking about, but it just doesn't. For me, uh, City Field is not quite um, what Shea Stadium was. So if I had to give a if I had to give a grade, I'd say um, I, I say incomplete. That's my one. Okay. Answer. Incomplete. So you see, you see City Field's environment a little how you see the Mets. You know, they have the Shake Shack, they have the extracurriculars, but not, not fully there when, when it matters. I, I see it. That's not what I said. Ah. You're, You're getting me in trouble. You know, ah. I, think, I think we're still, I, I think the media, I think the fans, and I, I have this uh, interaction with folks on Mets Twitter all the time. <laughs> The Wilpons don't own the team anymore, guys. Like, we can't talk about them or cover them or analyze them or assess them like we did for the last, you know, um, since 1987, when that was when Fred Wilpon finally became a full partner. Uh, and then he became the majority partner uh, in 2003. The team's not handled anymore by unqualified family members. So now you have, you know, professionals running the front office. You have an owner who is very happy to sign the checks and put forth a winning product with no uh, prevarication, with no, uh, you know, outright lying about what they're planning to do for the season with an actual budget that, you know, doesn't have to go back and forth between the owner's son and then the owner and then the GM every, every three days, uh, you know, the owner's son is no longer uh, telling people they have to play injured. I mean, the, the, the dynamic is different, but I still think that when people go to the ballpark, as happy as they are to be back, it's just, it's not Shay. And maybe that's just old man Mark telling kids <laughs> to get off his lawn, but it just doesn't have the same energy. Now, have I been at the stadium as much as I'd like to to do a fair assessment? No, the answer is no. But um, I get a sense of watching, you know, uh, I know people that are there, I talk to them, I ask them that same question. And most of the people that were have been at Shea, that were at Shea during the glory days, you know, uh, it's just not Shea yet. And that doesn't mean it's not gonna get there, but right now it's just not. Right, and so you've kind of talked about how you're a historian and about everything that's going on. And so I just sort of want to know about how did you get your idea to write your book, Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team? Um, I just, I think that's such an interesting book and it takes you through the history of all of New York baseball as we go through in New York City and its effect on the people and on the city. And so how specifically did you come up with that and how relevant do you feel that is during the pandemic as the city comes back alive? You know, like, how do you feel that changing? I think that's a great question, Kayla. Um, I think that, uh, you know, what you said, not not about my book, but I'm saying about the uh, the city coming alive, you know, the city coming back um, and why it's so crucial that we, you know, have all the right elements in place for that. And I think that the only way you can really understand it is to look at history. 
And that's not that, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic that a book about the history of baseball uh, through the lens of, a, of selecting players for an all-time team. Uh, I, I am a big believer in those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, I think that baseball more than any other sport celebrates its history, maybe too much, maybe too much, but I love the historical aspect of every sport that I cover, every sport that I watch. Uh, because there's always some kind of historical precedent, you know, uh, how did baseball do, we, do during World War II? How did baseball manage to still get people to come to the games during the Great Depression? Uh, you know, how did baseball survive the Vietnam War? All these different aspects of baseball, uh, you know, that in Field of Dreams, you know, I don't, I can't recall James Earl Jones's soliloquy or monologue at the end. Uh, <laughs> In, in complete, you know, but it is baseball is part of history. It's part of who we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so the idea for the book really came from back in 2005. Um, you know, I started a magazine called Gotham Baseball Magazine. And just recently, um, I bring this up because it was just so crazy. Just recently, we found the Amazon.com story. Uh, my partner, uh, Gene Birardelli, uh, who was the legal counsel for Gotham uh, forever, still is. Um, he found the link to the 2005 story that Amazon uh, editors picks named Gotham Baseball, one of the top new magazines of 2005. And, wow. And we were the only sports magazine uh, on that list. So, you know, it was always cool for us that we had that critical acclaim. We didn't right. make a lot of money with it, but... Um, <laughs> But that was the genesis, you know, that was the foundation of the book. Uh, through the years, um, you know, when magazines became unwieldy, uh, when it became too expensive to produce a print magazine, right? Um, we pushed forward and we decided to uh, just use it as a website, you know, because we had had very, you know, very popular uh, amongst Mets fans and Yankee fans and yelling at each other. So we kept the website going. Um, then, then came a bunch of different opportunities, which I go through in the book. I actually put it in the book. The first two chapters are about kind of the story of Gotham baseball, because we just celebrated our 20th anniversary in, in 2020. Again, ironic, right? I was, I was close to turning 50 years old. You know, I think I was 49 and I was saying to myself, you know, I'm going to be 50. People kind of, kind of sort of know about Gotham baseball. I mean, most people don't even know that the entire print run was is in the Cooperstown Library, the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, which is one of the coolest things like that's ever happened to me in my career. And I've done some cool stuff. You know, I was like, I want people to like know what it was. I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't not. I felt like it made it made enough of an impact. You know, just because I wasn't a millionaire and wasn't able to get all the startup capital or uh, you know venture capitalists to invest in it. Uh, I didn't want it to be anonymous. So I thought that by doing a book about what the spirit of Gotham baseball is, which is the past and present and future of the New York game, you know, a celebration of baseball history. I, you know, I, I wanted to think of a way to create a book, you know, that would celebrate that. And I, I feel like a book is more permanent than a website, more permanent than a a magazine that is no longer in print, you know? <laughs> uh, and I thought a book would be, as, as a long-form journalist, as somebody who loves that style of writing, 
I wanted to, I, I thought a book would be the perfect vehicle. And, and an all-time team would create arguments that we've had forever. You know, who's the better catcher? Who's the better first baseman? My guy's better than your guy, that type of thing. So uh, that was really the genesis of the book. I was going to turn 50. I was like, you know, what's my legacy? You call it a midlife crisis if you want. Um, I just felt like what's going to be my legacy, you know, um, right. as, or not so much my legacy as much as Gotham baseball's legacy. I wanted Gotham baseball to be something more than a website and a magazine, uh, that kind of sort of was around for a while. So the book made it makes, I hope the book makes Gotham baseball a more permanent thing. Gotcha. Well, we want to we have to ask one last question before we wrap up what was the hardest choice and why was it piazza over barra (laughs) (laughs) um you know i really struggled with the catcher chapter it was never my intention uh i thought it would be there was no predetermination going into the book who was going to be uh, right. you, know, you know, except for a few, like Jackie Robinson, there was no way Jackie Robinson wasn't going to be the second baseman. Lou Gehrig wasn't, was going to be the first baseman. There's always been an argument about catcher in New York. Most of those arguments have been between Campanella and Berra. Uh, you know, the, the Brooklyn Dodger people will say Campanella, the, the Yankees, and, and a lot of people will say Berra. Uh, but I had a ballot, uh, that went around, uh, to, I want to say about three or 4,000 people a few years ago. And Mike Piazza was not on the ballot. It was Gary Carter. And I explained in the book why. Um, and we don't have the time for me to go through it. But, you know, to me, Carter was the missing piece uh, for the 86 Mets. If the Mets don't get Gary Carter, I don't think they win in 86. He, you know, corralled that pitching staff. He was their cleanup hitter. He was their superstar. You know, Keith was Keith. But Gary was the superstar. You know, Gary was the national hero. He was the guy with the big smile, with the great curtain call, still the best curtain call of all Mets mm-hmm. of all time. Um, so he was on the ballot. It was Carter, Campanella, Berra, and uh, Brezhnehan from the old New York Giants. Berra did not win the popular vote. Campanella did not win the popular vote. I was shocked about Berra because Berra has that like uber love between the Yankee fans and the Mets fans. The person who won the ballot was Mike Piazza as a write-in. I still, to this day, I said, look, I, you know, I was so perplexed by that because there was no other write-in candidate that did any kind of more than maybe a 1% or 2% uh, in the vote. And again, this went to everyone. This went to Met fans. This went to Yankee fans. This went to people in baseball, executives, coaches, players, scouts. Uh, I was shocked. Then I started to write the chapter because I still, I was like, I can't make, can I really make my Piazza the all-time catcher? (laughs) And the guy that really kind of turned it around for me and really made it crystallize for me was Mike Vaccaro from the New York Post. Mike said that, uh, you know, Mike said that Mike, uh, and I, as far as I know, there's no affinity between the two of those guys. So it's not like, oh, he was my favorite place to, guy to cover. Mike was not a fun guy to cover. I mean, I interviewed him a bunch of times. 
he, you know, very boring guy, a lot like Jeter, uh, not as um, fancy pants as Jeter, where you would have to go through 6,000 different people to talk to him, you know, his excellency. Um, I love Jeter. Okay. He's, he's in the book too. So I don't, I don't say that with anything but the highest of respect. Of course. Mike was just, Mike was like Patrick Ewing. You know, Mike was just a guy that wanted to be left alone. He wanted to lead by example and he did not want to play any kind of mind games with the media. You know, he didn't really ever give the media anything to really write about. So it wasn't an affinity, but Mike just, we, we talked about it. He, he said to me that, you know, Barrow was a great hitter, but Mike Piazza might be one of the top five right-handed hitters of all time. Um, and when you go deep into the numbers, uh, and, and that's another reason why this book might um, lend itself to the younger fan or the sabermetric fan. I do a lot of sabermetrics and analytics, at least at, at the level that I can. You know, math is my right. math is my kryptonite. So, you know, anything Same here. analytics is a little frightening. But when you go through the numbers, it, there's no comparison. It's not even close. And when you also lump in the fact, and really, I do this with the argument for David Wright as well. They were he was by himself in that lineup. He had one year where other guys around him were good. You know, he was the best offensive player on a team that did not have a great offense. He was by himself, and he still drove in a ton of runs. He still got pitches to hit because he was Mike Piazza. Um, outside of the years he played with John Olrud, he never had a number three hitter that was in his on his same level. Uh, he and that was just one season in '99. Um, the rest of Mike's career as a Met, he was last man standing, first man, you know, first man in, and that has to play some kind of a role. Uh, you know, Barra had Mantle. Barrett, you know, uh, uh, Campanella had Hodges and so many other great players around him. Uh, neither of them were asked to be the number one offensive player for their club. So that played a role as well. Uh, and then the numbers don't lie. Uh, and especially the defensive metrics, when you go into Piazza's uh, ability to call a game, his ability to frame, his ability to block the plate, uh, even guys that um, maybe he didn't have such a great relationship with through his career, uh, all talked about how they loved throwing a mic. You know, the biggest drawback was Mike couldn't throw guys out, but there's a lot of catchers that can't throw guys out. Berra and um, Campanella weren't particularly good at throwing guys out either. Um, you know, you don't think of, you know, if we're talking about Johnny Bench, yeah, of course, Piazza is going to lose that battle. But right. I, I think that, I, I think when, when you look at the chapter and you read the chapter and you look at the numbers, it's kind of hard to argue unless you're a fan of a team that, you know, you just feel that your guy should have been, you know, should have been the all-time catcher. Right. Well, Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate the Piazza nod. I do. I do. I do. I do enjoy that our, our, our guy in orange and blue got the nod. Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team, is Mark Healy's book on both New York baseball teams and uh, – just the stories behind the players, whether it be Jackie, whether it be Piazza, uh, incredibly done. Mark, we thank you so much again for, for joining us um, and for giving your perspective. It was a pleasure to get to talk to you. Oh, really, thanks both of you uh, for spending some time and listening to my long-winded answers. I appreciate it. I hope your listeners enjoy it. And, uh, 
really, really appreciate uh, you guys having me on. Just want to shout out that I'm having a book signing. Uh, thank God uh, we're having in-person book signings again. Wow. Yeah, it's really exciting. The Rockaway Hotel in Rockaway Beach. Uh, you can go to um, my website, GothamBaseball.com, for all the details. Or follow me on Twitter at Mark C. Healy, M-A-R-K-C-H-E-A-L-E-Y.